0: Well, Susie, what teams are you representing? Tell everybody. I mean, she's got thirty teams rocking here. No, I've here. got the
1: Steelers and Penn State, UK, and I got a Pittsburgh Penguin shirt on underneath this. So
0: Whoa! Got it all Whoa! I'm only wearing this Braves jersey because my wife likes them, and she makes me wear this stuff. You know, and watch all these ball games. Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, forgive me for telling a lie. And Lord, uh, open the word to us. Prepare us for the things that are coming to our nation, to our city, and our families. Thank you that you are good all the time. And your truth will set us free. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to pick up where we left off. And uh, hold your Bibles up. Did you bring your Bible with you? Excellent. And I'm going to tell you up front, we're only going to do half of this today. Okay? We're going to do the fifth church. Now, if you're new or you're just uh, tuning in on online, let me just tell you a few things. The vision at Church of the Savior, why do we exist? We want to see lives transformed by the presence of God. It's not preaching. It's not evangelism. It's not missions. It's not Bible study. All those are good. But when Jesus shows up, lives are changed. Somebody say amen. Amen. Okay, so that's our vision. We want to be a presence-based church. He is a guest at everything we do. And he's also the host of everything we attend. So he's here. Now, to review of the seven churches found in Revelation 2 and Revelation 7, we've done four of them. And to go back a little bit, the first church, Ephesus, is the loveless church. Would you say loveless? They had lost their first love, which is easy to do. And these are real churches, Real place called Turkey today, the Church of Smyrna, and I'm showing you pictures from the actual locations. They are the persecuted or the suffering church, and there's a lot of Christians all over the globe that are suffering horribly because they love Jesus. In America, we've had it really soft, we've had it really cushy, we have not paid much of a price for following Jesus, but around the globe, If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to suffer for it. And then the third church is Pergamos, and they are the compromising church. Say compromising. And if I was to pick one church to represent America, I would say this is probably us. We are horribly compromised. And if Jesus doesn't help us, it is getting worse. And then the fourth church is Thyatira. And they are the corrupt church. They've gone from corruption to just being corrupted. Now, this is the hill or the mountain in Turkey where the Acropolis, the castle, the city center was. And uh, let's go ahead and read. And I'm going to start at verse 1 of chapter 3, reading New American Standard is my version I'm using, to the angel or pastor or messenger or leader, it's all the same word, angel means messenger, of the church of Sardis, write this, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, we talked about that earlier, says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are what? What's their reputation? They are alive. But he said, I don't see it that way. You're actually quite dead. Not on life support. Not sick. You are dead. But Jesus has hope. Verse 2, wake up. Everyone say, wake up. One more time. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. Which were about to die. And I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. In other words, you stopped doing what you used to do. You just stopped. So, remember what you've received. Remember what you've heard. And remember to keep it. And then repent. Okay, here's the bad news. That's that's already pretty bad, but here's the bad news. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know the hour at which I will come. But you have, verse 4 is sad to me. Out of this big metropolitan area, out of all the people that name themselves as Christians, but you actually have a very few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me, those who haven't soiled their garments will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. Now, this Acropolis is 1,500 feet off the valley floor. And it made this area, this fortification, this castle, this city center practically impregnable. And the Turks call this Sart, S-A-R-T. They've changed the name from Sardis to Sart. And there is a modern city there, too. About 1,200 years before Christ was born, Sardis became the capital city of the empire of Lydia. They were fierce warriors. Finally, the Persians took them down. But it was a, essentially half of, of the country of Turkey today. Their primary industry, see if you can get the clue to what we read. Their primary industry was raising sheep, harvesting wool, dyeing the wool, making garments, and, and exporting it everywhere. You see where Jesus is going with this? A little bit of trivia. Maybe your grandmother read you some fables. Maybe your third grade teacher read you some stories that people have read all over the world. A man by the name of Aesop, Aesop actually, was a famous writer. And he wrote books. And we have them today, Aesop's fables. Remember the tortoise and the hare? That's a very, very old story. And it's got was brilliant. So Jesus sees the church. As dead, everyone say dead. Sees the church is dead, which means they are completely full of unrepentant, unregenerate, which means they've never received Jesus. They're just religious. They've not been regenerated, they've not been reborn people. And he said, I've, I know your deeds, I know how you live. I know what you treasure. I know what your activities are. I know what your heart is. And he said, you guys have a name or a reputation in that part of Asia. And the reputation is you're full of life. Which means, what does that mean, Steve? It means People saw this group of people that call themselves Christians as vital. They're thriving. They are the people you want to be with. They are fun. They are attractive. They seem like they have everything going for them, and they appear to be life-giving. And maybe you have a group of friends at school like this. Or maybe friends that you grew up with may be seen like this. And maybe there's a group of people you run around with at work. They seem to be fun and alive, but there's a big difference between how the world sees people and how Jesus sees them. Someone say, "Amen." Do you have friends that Jesus would say are dead men walking? They bring death to your life. They bring darkness to your life. They don't bring anything good. And yet you run around with them because you think they are life giving. But Jesus saw this community different and he loved them. See the rose bush? notice anything about the rose bush the rose bush is dead and he saw the lives of the people here in Sardis who claimed to be Christians but were actually dead they're not sick they're not on life support they are dead they are unresponsive. I've been to too many car wrecks where people have died. I've been at too many homes where people that I loved died as I got there or an hour after I got there or before I got there. It's never fun. It's always tearful. I've been in too many emergency rooms and had to tell a wife that her husband wouldn't respond and he was gone for instance if you have a fifty thousand dollar ford truck and it's beautiful and you love it but on a cold morning it will not crank guess what it is it is dead it may be beautiful You may like the leather seats. You may think you can sleep in it at night. That'll work for a little while. But if you can't crank it, it's unresponsive. And therefore, it is dead. And Jesus saw these folk as lifeless. Everyone say, lifeless? Now, uh, we had a small farm growing up in South Carolina. We raised cattle. And uh, my dad loved Tennessee walking horses. He thought that was the finest horse in the world. And he always had a number of them, and he trained them and raised them. And it was a wonderful horse to ride, and we had lots of them. I remember one day we had a two-year-old stud colt, beautiful horse, completely black, young stallion. My dad was going to sell him. But this young stallion came down with a cold and my dad called the family veterinarian who had been part of our family for 30 years to come and help our colt and as he pulled his white truck down in the yard and we brought the colt out and we watched him get the antibiotics to help the colt not get pneumonia. And my dad, I'd seen my dad give horses lots of shots. And I had, he trained me to give horses shots. You take the syringe in your hand, you bump the horse in the neck uh, several times with the back of your hand to get him used to it. And before you know it, you flip the hand over and just stick it in and he doesn't even know he got stuck. Well, when the veterinarian bumped his neck three times, turned his hand around, and injected the antibiotic in the colt's neck. In two seconds, the colt dropped dead. 800 pounds went to the ground. $2,000 just went away, just like that. I was in shock, my dad was in shock, and the veterinarian that still had the needle went, oh my goodness. And what apparently happened and it's just a rare thing. It's called an anaphylactic shock. It's, it's an allergic, a severe allergic reaction. Now, when a horse is dead, what's a horse good for? Can you ride it? Can you sell it? Can you train it? Can you trade it? Yeah, I'd like to trade my horse for that horse, but he's sleepy right now. He'll wake up in a couple of years. It's okay. You lost all the value because there's no life in the horse. I'll tell you what we did. My dad brought the tractor, pulled that dead horse out into the pasture, got a backhoe, dug a big hole. We had done that many times before for cattle and horses. And we watched as... The dead body was dropped into the ground and covered up. The horse was valueless. If you're camping and you had a great fire and through neglect or rain or something and all of a sudden the fire went out. It's not all of a sudden slowly the fire went out. All this happens slowly, not quickly What good is a campfire that was once ablaze? It's good for nothing. It's valueless. I just want to ask all of us in this room, are you fulfilling your purpose? Are you doing what Jesus wants you to do with your life? All of us have a calling. All of us have a purpose. Have you let your fire go out? Are you adding value to other people's lives into the kingdom? Great, great questions as we study this passage. And so when a person is dead, when something is dead, often it's too far gone to resurrect. And the spirit has departed. Spiritually, when a person dies and their heart stops beating... We're made up of three persons. We are a spirit. We have a soul, which is a mind, will, and emotions. And we live in a body. We live in this earth suit. So we are a spirit eternal. Our soul is eternal. But our body is this only temporary. And so when a person dies and they take their last breath and the brain wave stops... The spirit and the soul separate from the body. When the Holy Spirit separates from a church or a family or a city, that's not good. We want to continually invite God's spirit to come and do whatever he wants. This is his church. Now, Let me give you the good news of what Jesus said. No matter how hopeless, no matter how far gone, Jesus has a plan. And he says, wake up. Everyone say, wake up. He said, wake up. And can Jesus awaken the dead? Would that be yes or no? Jesus is walking through a small town by the name of Nain, N-A-I-N, in the northern part of Israel. And a single mother... Her only child, a son, a young man died prematurely, apparently of illness or accident. The scripture doesn't say. They're having the funeral procession through the town. Jesus comes up and he, go, he stops the procession and he comes and he puts his hand on the body and he says, arise. And that young man sits up. And the funeral procession became a Methodist potluck. Someone said, amen. <laughs> Jesus can't awaken the dead. Here's a little girl who was so ill, the father had gone a long way to bring Jesus, the rabbi, to come to his house. And in between where he met her and where he went to the house, there was a lot of people that wanted him for various things. When he finally got to the house, the father came out and says, uh, It's too late. With tears, broken heart, he said, My little daughter has died. And Jesus shushed the crowd and said, This girl's not dead. She's asleep. And then everybody started laughing until he said, Little girl, wake up. And she did one of his very best friends, Lazarus, who was quite ill, and his sister sent for Jesus, and Jesus said, it's not time to go. And when he finally went, his disciples, his boy, said, Master, it's too late. He's already gone, don't you know? He, he, he was almost dead three days ago, so he's got to be dead now. And Jesus astonished and said, no, you don't understand. He's just asleep. Everyone say asleep. Turn to your neighbor and say, Are you asleep? Go ahead and just ask him, Are you asleep? He said, I'm going to wake him up. I'm going to wake him up. I'm going to wake him up. And by the way, can Jesus awaken anything? Yes or no? He can awaken anything. He can awaken a church. He can awaken a church. He can awaken a city. He can awaken a boy that has rejected Jesus. And awaken his heart and his mind. That's what Jesus does. There's no situation beyond hope. There's none because that's what Jesus does. He said, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. My very first little church I pastored was a little Methodist church in Shelby County. And we had one more uh, year of seminary. And I was a youth pastor up in Maysville. And the superintendent came to me one day and said, by the way, you're going to be a pastor, and you got a church. I said, one, I'm never going to be a pastor, and two, I don't have another church. He said, yes, you do. I said, no, I don't. He said, yes, you do, and I said, no, I don't. And six weeks later, I was a pastor. That's how I became a pastor. I didn't like pastors. So we drive to Shelby County and i just we just had the name we were just curious we wanted to see what it was like so we went to the big methodist church in town and we talked to the secretary and she told us where the church was that was before gps and all that stuff and she said it's at the end of Zaring mill road just about 10 miles from here and he, she said, By, and, and on the way, there's a prominent family that goes to that church. They have a beautiful farm and a beautiful old brick house, and you will just love them, and they, she will, they will greet you and love you. So I thought, great, meet some new friends. So we pulled up in the yard under the oak tree, knocked on the door, and this woman came to the door. And she looked at me and turned her head, and she said, who, who, who are you, and why are you on my porch? I said, I'm your new pastor. And went, <laughs> And then she left the screen door and walked back inside. I went, Oh. I knocked again, and she came back, and she said, I guess you want in, right? Well, wouldn't it be nice? Could we talk a little bit? So Sue and I went in and we don't know what we're doing and we sit in this living room and for one hour, one hour, she told us what a rotten church, what a dead church, what wicked people, what a hopeless situation. And I I finally said, can you tell me the truth? (laughs) And we smiled, but it didn't faze me because God was working. And we drove another six miles, came to the little brick church. The sign had fallen down, and nobody cared enough to put it back up. I just got a little sign. It had fallen down. It was a gravel parking lot, and they had just got one or two toilets in the church, and they thought they were great. They thought they were really alive. We got bathrooms. And so the current pastor came out. He was a student pastor, and he came out and he he said, Who are you guys? I said, Well, I guess we're supposed to be here in about a month. He said, Flee, flee, run from the wrath to come. No, no, save yourselves. These people will kill you and crucify you. And he turned and said, Look at the bullet holes, look. They will eat your children. Seriously, he told us to leave. He was leaving. These people were not worth loving. 50 people. He did show us a parsonage. He took us inside. And uh, the previous pastor had kicked the one before him. He only lasted a year. The, The one before him had kicked the window out in the basement and he raised boxers dogs in the house while he was gone five days. He just put a bunch of food out and the windows were painted shut. They were painted shut. Old house painted shut. There was one little air conditioning unit at the end of the house. So the heat was stifling. The dog urine smell was overwhelming and we had shorts on and fleas jumped up on our legs and uh i turned to my bride and said welcome honey (laughs) but you know when the lord is in something he can he can bring anything back to life and that church became a great family instead of one year we stayed seven People were coming to Christ practically every week. Every single week. They were driving from five counties. It wasn't me. The presence of the Lord would show up because he wanted to bring life. So if you've given up hope, if you're in a situation, a marriage, a job, a neighborhood that's hopeless, you got a daughter that's breaking your heart, don't give up. Jesus can bring new life. Because in the passage we read, he's got the keys. The keys to what? The keys to death. The keys to hell. He's got the keys. And whoever has the keys to any enterprise has the authority. And he's got the keys. The one who has the keys is the one we want to do business with. Lord, tell me what to do and I'll do it. This is your endeavor. This is your marriage. These are your kids. I gave these kids to you. This is the job you gave me and I will be faithful here until you move me someplace else. So what Jesus said to them, Yes, it's really bad here in Sardis, but you have to act. You Christians have to act. Strengthen what remains. There may not look like anything is remaining, but there are a few warm coals under the debris. If you don't act, they will go out. And it's not on me, it's on you. Because I brought you here to act. And I want to say timing's very important. We think we got a long time to turn this ship around, our city, this country, our state. We may not. We don't know how long we have. We need to be thinking what Jesus wants us to do now, we should be doing it. Time's critical. If Jesus gives you a burden, act on the burden. Do what he wants you to do. If you have a burden, it's because he knows it can turn around. He's not going to get... Anytime, Jesus gives me a burden for somebody. I just believe they're going to get saved. I just believe it. Even if it takes 20 years, he's not going to give me a burden. He's not going to tell me to act. He's not going to tell me to invest unless it's going to be a life change. But the problem is, it's the same problem we have. They stop doing what they should have been doing. We start grace marriage. is coming uh saturday sue and i've been in it for four years i saw it and went man this is the best way to teach couples how to love each other and how to communicate if they will just do this they will love each other they will get stronger the the deal is a couple that gets married and they're so in love they talk for hours on the phone They go on dates. They enjoy each other. They're affectionate and loving. And then 10 years later, they hate each other's guts. What happened? They stopped doing what they used to do. And the people at Sardis had stopped doing what they used to do. He said, I've found that your deeds are incomplete. You went halfway. Halfway and you stopped, and halfway doesn't work with anything. He said, here's what I want you to do. Now, we're just going right through the six verses, right through the six verses. He said, what I want you to do is remember. Everyone say, remember? Remember what you used to do. Remember what I've given you. Remember what I've told you. Don't Overcomplicated. Remember. Remember. Act. Then he said, Not only remember, you got to do it. And you got to hold on. You got to keep what is true, what is lovely, what is honorable. You got to hang on to all this. And then you got to repent. Everyone say, Repent. Have you ever got yourself in the wrong place? Hold your hand up. You ever got yourself in the wrong place? Bad attitude, bad actions, destructive lifestyle. What do you do? When the Holy Spirit speaks, you say, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I turn around and I'm going to do what you asked me to do. If you don't turn, you're just sorry. And that won't produce any change. You have to turn and go a different direction. You have to think differently. You have to act differently. Now, now here's a warning. Are you ready for the warning? Here's the warning. He said, if you don't wake up, he's calling. If you just roll over, you pull the covers up, you act like you're not hearing me. If you don't wake up, So if they didn't wake up, if we at Church of the Savior, we don't wake up. If our city doesn't wake up, I believe our city is waking up. I believe there's a groundswell of intercessors coming together. I believe there's a group of pastors that see the city is more important than their church. They want to see the kingdom grow and Jesus exalted. This spring, pray, this spring, we're going to see things happen in our city. Because Jesus is coming and he wants to see it. And then if our nation doesn't wake up, You say, Steve, what what is God's alarm clock? Can I tell you what his alarm clock is? It's the, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is screaming. When I meet with pastors for lunch, and I try to meet with a different one every week, I usually ask things like this, what is the Lord saying to you? It's amazing how many of them say the same things that he's saying to me. So the alarm clock is screaming, wake up. It can turn around. You've got to get up. Remember what I've called you to do. Hold on to what I gave you. Act. Do not retreat. Move forward. And he said, if you don't do this, I will come suddenly. Suddenly. And the picture here is like a thief that breaks into your house, maybe in the middle of the broad daylight. You're going to work. You don't even know you've been vandalized, and they kick in a door and they run through all your stuff and destroy your house because you weren't aware. It happened suddenly, it happened unexpectedly. And Jesus said, I'm going to come and it won't be pleasant and it won't be a party because I'm serious about this. And his words were, I will bring judgment to the dead, the unrepentant church. That's why every Sunday when we give an altar call, you don't have to come to the altar. But every week, a chance to humble ourselves in the Lord's presence, to ask for a tender heart, to ask him to search us, to say again, one more time, Lord, amen. I'll do whatever you ask. I'll help anybody you want. I'll be what you want me to be. We don't want dead hearts. We want tender hearts that quickly say, uh, I'm sorry, Lord, I got it wrong. I chose wrong. I acted wrong. I want to be right. That's what repentance means. So here's a $50 set of questions. How you and I live, the status of my heart and your heart, Is it important to Jesus? Would that be a yes or a no? I'm sorry, is that a yes or a no? It's the most important thing. There's nothing more important. Nothing more important. And it gets kind of sad. He said, you know, out of all these people, the thousands of people that live here and the people that once had my word and the people that once walked with me and the people, they probably still Put my name on their lips. But there's actually very few people, and there's a word picture here, that they understood that have dirtied or soiled their clothes. It's not physical soil. If you've ever worked on a farm, worked on a dairy, worked on a construction site, you ever worked in a factory where you got dirty and greasy When you left work and you came home, you better not go in there to your wife's bedroom and start taking your stuff off. (laughs) Does somebody have to wake you up? You do that before you go in. And he's saying you've got an issue. Remember what they did for a living, what was big, the garment industry. And they took a lot of pride in their work and how people looked. And spiritually speaking, stains on the outside only pointed to greater stains on the inside. And that's what he's talking about. Now, this verse from Romans 13, would you repeat it with me, please? It's a great verse. Maybe it's a great one for you and me to memorize. Say it with me, please. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. So, it's a decision. What do you mean, a decision? You're wearing a filthy shirt. It's absolutely filthy. Can you not just take it off? Can you not just get a new one? Or you wanna just keep living that way? You wanna keep walking around that way? You wanna keep looking that way, living that way? Now, it seems like in this passage, we get bad news, good news, bad news and then good news well here's more good news there's hope in this passage there's hope for all seven churches well steve why would you say hope this is kind of hard to listen to and this is kind of this is dark and punishing and difficult and scary and threatening it's full of hope how's it full of hope we can change We can wake up. Any church can come alive if they just will. Any marriage can be healed if they just will. A friendship can be restored if they will. That lost boy can come home if we keep praying and keep believing and keep standing and hope for all believers I've Never met someone that I went, it's come close. I, was, I had to correct myself. There's been a few times I went, oh, Lord, I don't know what to say here. This is really bad. But I ended up saying, because I know what Jesus can do. There's hope. You can be healed. You can be different. You can be better. If you'll do what Jesus says and with hope we can always look at folk and say no matter how far down they are and say this could be your year this spring could be the best part of your life if you repent and if you come back this is your time and jesus uses the same word seven times he uses the word overcome why would he say overcome overcome if he didn't believe they could overcome, he would have passed them up. All seven churches, he said, you can't overcome. I will help you overcome. He who overcomes will be clothed in a deep, wonderful, beautiful, pure relationship with me. Put on the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throw off the selfish, wicked, arrogant, destructive clothes and behavior that you've been with. And here's a promise. Here's a promise. Worship team, would you guys come on out, please? What's a promise? This is so important. One day, when you stand before me, I will take you to my Heavenly Father. And I will introduce you, even though He already knows you, and tell Him that you are my faithful, obedient servant and child. And you finished your race well. You kept the fight. You didn't quit the faith. And, folk, that's going to be before a big crowd. And it's going to be completely worth it. Now, I think today there's faith in this room. I think this passage is for Lexington and this passage is for us. The the passage is awake. And I just want to pray a prophetic prayer today. Because there's power in the word and there's power in proclamation. Ezekiel was told Do you see this valley of dried bones? Yes, Lord, I see all these bones. And the Lord said to Ezekiel, Do you think they can come back to life? And Ezekiel went, I have no idea, Lord. Only you know. Only you know this nation can come back. These people can come back. These families can come back. These worshipers can come back. Then he said, Here's what I want you to do. You speak to the bones. You prophesy to the bones. And if you've got a wayward son, you've got a dead marriage. Your fire inside you has grown cold. Prophesy to yourself. Speak the word of God out. Call the things that are not as though they are, they will be. Because there's a power and proclamation in the name of Jesus. I want to just do that right now in this room. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence here today. I thank you for the way you love your sons and daughters. Thank you that you're the head of the church. You're the great shepherd. You're the light of the world. You're the living waters. You're the bread of life. You're everything. So come in your power today, not just to this room, but to this city, to individual homes, to where people are watching online. Come in your power. As I speak your word, bring your power. I say in Jesus' name, prodigal, you wake up in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, son, you come back home. In Jesus' name, daughter, I say, come back to your parents. In Jesus' name, I say, drug addict, leave the dope in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, be nauseated from that. I rebuke a spirit of alcohol in Jesus' name. and command to leave this generation, this younger generation, Be free in Jesus' name. I speak to young people that are caught in the dark web of same-sex attraction, and I break that power in Jesus' name. I break that power over our loved ones in the name of Jesus. And I say, minds be clear today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, encounters come to the wayward, the lost, the lame, the lonely. In Jesus' name, churches come alive in our city. In Jesus' name, I speak life to people that will take office and stand for righteousness. I speak life to schools in Jesus' name in this area. Come alive in Jesus' name. Death and deception, I command you to leave now. Jesus' name, body of Christ, come together in this city. Jesus' name, intercessor, stand on the wall and take your place. Jesus' name, marketplace leaders, come together into a mighty army in this city. Bring an awakening, Lord. We've been praying for years today. I declare it. Awakening, come in Jesus' name. Church, come back to life. Awaken you, sleeper, in Jesus' name. Lord, release your power. Release humility in this room. Bring fire to your people in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask you, would you come to the altar today? Come to the altar. I go practically every week, maybe multiple times. I just want a tender heart because I know I can be selfish and self-absorbed and fearful and everything that you struggle with, I struggle with it too. But I come just asking for the Lord to give me more. So you've got a prodigal. If your heart has been hard and not tender, if your marriage is dysfunctional, come to the altar and say in Jesus' name, life come. I'm standing for life today. So come to the altar as we continue to worship during these last moments. Jesus, I speak to wrong, wicked friends that would seduce our children in the name of Jesus. I say in Jesus' name, I rebuke those friendships and I command them to disappear right now. Lord, bring godly friends and mentors in the lives of our children and grandchildren. And Lord, today we lose in our city a broken heart and spirit that will tremble at your word. We release humility. We release a hunger to know God in this city like never before and at this place. Lord, we release a spirit of prayer. We release a spirit of prayer in this city and in this church over mothers and dads and husbands and wife, over children. Lord, release a spirit of travail. Release a gift of faith here release signs and wonders. And we've asked, Lord, that you would help the wonderful Hispanic people in our city, that you would release revival among them in Jesus' name. You would release revival among the Congolese, the people that speak Swahili, over the Iraqis, over the people from Nepal, over the internationals that you brought here. We release revival over them in Jesus' name. Father, I also speak. Give us faith to believe for healing for our children. For those wrestling with illness, give faith. Release faith, Lord. Release faith that we could pray over our children and grandchildren and we could sense the destiny of God in the lives of our family. Release a tender heart in the lives of our children, Father. Release a hunger to love God. More than they love anything in the lives of this next generation, Lord, awakening, it's got to come to them or there will be no awakening, no revival. I just see the Lord uh,
2: moving in the hearts uh, to just release bitterness this morning. And that the Lord will forgive you as you forgive and release other people. So Lord, I pray that you would purify us. Lord, if there are things that we're holding on to in our own pain, God, come purify our hearts. Help us to release those things and let you be the healer of our hearts so that we're not just bound by sin. Thank you, Lord, that there is a grace this morning to come to the altar and release people from our judgment of them and to release your mercy over them. God, I pray that you would bring unity to the body of Christ in a time where everything is so divided. Humble us, Lord. Humble our hearts. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Help us not to be scared of of our own hearts, God, and the wickedness that can be in there. I pray, God, that we would just be completely vulnerable with you, Lord. And Lord, that you would bring all the dross to the surface under your fire, God that you would sweep all of it away and all of the things Lord all the impurities in our heart that keep us at war and at fight with one another pray that you would remove it so that we can be one because Lord when your church was one in acts that's when you came and he shook the whole place God purify us
0: Jesus, awaken the lost. Awaken the lost. Awaken the lost. May they have dreams, encounters with you and angels. I pray they would turn to Christians and say, what is this with you? Tell me, why do you have so much peace? Lord, awaken your church to go to people, to love them, to invite them into our life. Tell us, Lord, who you want us to love and serve. Bring a harvest of people. That they wake up one morning going, I need God then.
1: set apart for you Lord I choose to be Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, O God of Jacob. O God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, O God of Jacob. your face, oh God, Jacob. We seek your face, oh God.
0: your call is to be like fire starter you ever been on a camping trip and you use fire starter or started something fire in your fireplace break off a bit and it gets a fire going wherever the lord is going to put you don't be afraid to get the fire started it just takes one person and you know if there's somebody here this morning named henry that has a special need Fontes wants to meet you right here. Father, we thank you for this time. If there's anybody that's never given their heart to Christ or somebody watching online right where you are, you can pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm tired of being dead. Come into my life and save me today and make me your child because I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. There's people here to minister to to you. Slip out quietly, pick up your children. Have a great day.
1: Us at Church of the Savior online today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.